Good evening, Union Grove. So um, I had a question for Pastor before you uh, left, but he's leaving, so I'll catch him anyways. So I was looking through that spiritual uh, form, and, and uh, you said it was pretty comprehensive, but I missed, there's something missing in there. And uh, so uh, I did not see the spiritual giftedness of cooking. If you have that, let me know, because me and three boys I know have the spiritual gift of eating. So we'll get together and help make the church grow, right? So um, this is going to be kind of fun tonight because it's nice having a pastor being here so um, he can critique me, and, 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 I, and I'm looking forward to that later because uh, it's kind of funny. It's neat timing, too, because tomorrow is uh, CDL test day for my uh, driving students. So, you know, in class we're working, practicing, and tomorrow they get to take their test, their road test. But uh, we, we do this the week before. We do a mock test because uh, these guys, they get clipboard anxiety. That's what we call it. You get an examiner there with a clipboard, and what they're normally able to do, all of a sudden the anxiety kicks in, and it's struggle bus city, and they can't get it done. So, um, so the week before, I usually get out a clipboard, and I red marker. Oh, it's got to be red. <laughs> you know, Yes, I realize the psychological warfare of the red marker. So uh, red marker, and we get out there, and uh, we try to get them used to the clipboard so that they can, uh, you know, it's fun. Because even with me, an instructor that's been working with them, and they know I'm there for their success, it's still struggle bus city. So we try to get them used to that. And uh, I'm a little disappointed. I was expecting to see Pastor there with his clipboard, his red marker. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm in it to win. going to get an A tonight. So, uh, so I tell you, with that, let's uh, get to prayer, and then... Uh, We'll get, uh, we'll get going on a sermon, and, and uh, we're, we're going to stop in the New Testament for a verse, and then we're going to bounce back to, to Numbers 13 if you, when, we, when we get there. So with that, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for being the great God, great God that you are. And I just pray, Lord, that you open our hearts, open our minds, uh, help this vessel speak, and glorify you, Lord. And we ask for your presence to be with us, Lord, and we thank you for that gift. We thank you that you tell us if we draw near to you, then you'll draw near to us. And I'm so thankful for that promise, Lord. And I just pray that we're here tonight to, to come to know you more, Lord. We're here because we love you. Not that we loved you first, but because of how you loved us when you sent your son that we may die. And I just pray that tonight may be a worship that glorifies you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So, um, in it to win, do you believe the Bible? I know. I, I answer that question yes, too. I'm sure if you're here on a Sunday night, um, you're answering yes. Yes, I, I, I believe the Bible. I was reading this book uh, from one of my classes. It's called Supernatural. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's about the uh, uh, spiritual realm, if you will. He's got some neat, neat concepts. I don't necessarily agree with him on every theological point, but there's a lot of things that he's got going on about spiritual warfare that I, I think is good to call out. Um, uh, but uh, his chapter one in there is, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the Bible? Do you really believe what it says about um, the spiritual realm? Do you really believe it when you read passages about uh, the, the rulers of darkness, the powers and authorities, and about demonic influence and in government, do you really believe? And it's kind of interesting because um, I, when, when I read that, and I love how God works uh, when, when he gets convicting me, he kind of convicted me um, in a little bit different way because um, it, it's, been, it's been a little bit of a rough road lately. And I greatly appreciate your prayers, and I thank you for that, because I know you guys are praying for me. Um, but, like, I don't think I've been in it to win it so much, so to speak. And so, like, God really, I had something else planned for tonight, and I'm loving the process, too, of, like, how God lays things on my heart when I come up here to share. But God kind of hit me with this one. He's like, Rich, you need to share this. And I was like, all right, we'll do it. So uh, work lately for my driving school. I not only do that, but I'm the guy that wears the safety hat. So um, <laughs> work, this is great. So injuries and accidents. Uh, we are setting, we have like this unprecedented, just bad streak. I mean, normal numbers that are horrible. Uh, I got more injuries this year, and it just turned June, than I have for the past two years. Uh, my accidents last year, I got more accidents only halfway through the year, not even halfway through the year, than I did um, the year prior. And uh, it's drawing a lot of 
not good attention because we, we got a lot of bad things going on. And as a safety guy, that's not good. So um, it's been a little stressful at work. So uh, what's fun, too, is like, so trying to get the guys excited and focus on it because it's more of a matter of focus because uh, most of the guys know what they're doing. I uh, cook out, right? So I get all dressed up in this boxing gear. We're going to fight for safety, put up your dukes, get on guard. And I got a bunch of other slogans, and I run around having fun with the guys, trying to encourage them. And I'm like, if you hit something, I get to hit you. <laughs> so uh, um, I haven't gotten pulled into HR yet for that one. But so, um, but, uh, so like 15 days, injury, accident free. You get a cookout, right? We, we've been doing this for, for, for a couple months now, and we've had zero cookouts. And it just seems like every time we start to get traction, something bad happens. And we've been so bad, uh, our director of safety has stopped by. So he comes by and he stops by to see what's going on. And what's great is he gets, he's, he's not from the Milwaukee area, but what's great is he gets two stops. He's got ours, and then he can go north of the Fond du Lac Terminal, who's cel- celebrating 2 million miles accident-free driving. So, so we're doing, we're like the worst in the nation, and our neighbors to the north are the best in the nation. So, so work has been a little stressful. We got new stuff we're rolling out. I also do the training because that's the other hat I wear. So, uh, so I'm rolling out all these new things. And of course, my uh, more uh, senior drivers don't like change. So I, I'm getting, you know, you're not supposed to shoot the messenger, and uh, I'm catching all the the, the bullets, and uh, it's been fun. So work's been really stressful lately. And, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, those accidents, most of those accidents are coming from uh, uh, recent graduates out of my driving school. So it's been like this double negative. And uh, I'm not used to not succeeding and uh, really been struggling with that. And then needless to say, so because of all this at work, I'm working more hours at work. And then on top of that was school. And I knew this, this was going to come. And I knew the dark times of seminary were going to come. Because the studying you do is kids kind of academic. And you're not always in there like, to be in the presence of the Lord, but you're studying things just to be studying and gaining knowledge. And, and, and sometimes it gets dry, um, which is hard to believe. But uh, that was getting dry. And so um, that was getting dry. And, um, and needless to say, I don't stress and freak out like on the outside, you know, but uh, I eternalize it. <laughs> and so the appetite picks up. So I start snacking on more. And needless to say, I put on some, put on a few pounds. And uh, so then, of course, Nobody likes putting on weight. So, uh, like, I'm not happy about that. And then when I'm at home, too, this is, uh, you get out that clipboard, co- put a couple of F minuses here. So, um, then at home, you say, my parenting, it's not the right parenting, right? So, when my kids start their squabbles, I come in and I settle it the right way. I'll be the loudest voice, the end. And uh, no, that's not how God called me to parent. So, and then, uh, needless to say, there's my poor wife who's been picking up all the slack, because I've been working all these hours, and then when I'm at home, I'm behind a computer, reading a book, uh, not much of a dad, so she's been parenting, never helped with laundry, so that's not changing, but uh, she's been doing all the work too, and so I've just been not feeling like victorious as a husband, so it's just been like this, uh, uh, just bottoming out, and um, not like totally crazy bottoming out, and, and, uh, and, so, um, and so when I read that, it really struck me. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe it? And I haven't been leaving like I believe in the promises of God. And I wanted to ask us that. Um, so winning, in it to win. Are you in it to win? What, is, what does it mean to win? What does success look like for you? I, I'll talk about this a little later, but it's going to be a little bit different for each one of us. Everyone wants our different spots in our faith and where we are with our, with our relationships with Christ. And, and where would you like to win? What struggles and challenges are you facing and are you living like God's promises are true? Um, this one is, and this is, this is where I go back to. Um, this is, that's my rock is going back to the promises of God to snap me out of funks like that when I start hitting, start getting in these modes where things aren't going right. And uh, um, give you an example. At work, uh, we get this email. <laughs> so my buddy who's another driver trainer with me, he's in class, he's like, oh, did you see this email? I'm like, no. So I go to look for it. East Coast fuel shortages, right? Everybody knows what it's like at the, at the gas tank to pump, fill up, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. And then him and I are going on the butterfly effect of, of how that's going to affect us and all the other ramifications, what it means for a, a national company, trucking company if, if our East Coast is, is getting shut down because they don't have fuel and freight in stock there, and, 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 uh, and we're like, ugh. And then, of course, that lead into that spiritual conversation about how much it's costing to pump gas. At this time, I think it was only 440, so we had nothing to complain about. <laughs> and so, and so um, what was awesome that morning is I was praying, 
Lord, I need to know your presence. I miss your presence. And of course, he answers me. And so all of a sudden, I'm going to jump in the conversation. And all of a sudden, the Lord convicted me. And he broke my heart. And, um, and I looked around. And my students are there. My other driver trainer is there. Unsaved people. And they're talking about the gas prices and how much it hurts to put in the tank. And I'm feeling bad for them. And I'm commiserating with them. And I'm about to start grumbling with them. And the Lord hits me. And he's like, have I not provided for you? Boom. I was like, oh, Lord, you're right. I don't need to do that. I don't need to jump on this bandwagon of anger and hate, right? Because when you look at that, and here's a litmus test for you. When you, next time you fill up your gas tank, you should see, does it lead you to um, pray for your leaders because of the pain that it's causing and asking for God to do something in our nation? Or does it lead you to curse the leaders? And that the guy in the White House says you expect him to do something to help the people, right? We always joke about uh, being for the proletariat. And, uh, and so that's that litmus test. And so are you in a twin? Are you believing like God's promises are true? Um, so one of my favorite verses to fall back on is Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I love that verse. Um, it's something that I can dwell on over and over again. So, blessed. It's already done. It's past tense. What's also nice about this statement, it's a statement of truth. It's not a promise. It's not something we have to have hope for and wait to attain, right? We have the hope of heaven and the hope of a resurrection because we're not there yet. We have the hope of the rapture and getting called out of here. But this one is a statement of truth. We've been blessed already. It's already happened, and, it, and, and it's not a promise that you have to hope for. And more importantly, it, it's every spiritual blessing. You get all of them on day one when you get saved. It's this beautiful thought, like every spiritual blessing. I want you to just think of one of your favorite spiritual blessings of what it means to be a child of God. And that's probably one of them, right? You're adopted as sons and daughters into the family. And then uh, on top of that, uh, because of that, you have an inheritance waiting for you. And then you have the Holy Spirit, which seals you, right? And seals you and guarantees you. And not, not only that, but all, the, all of the ministry that the Holy Spirit does in you, right? You have Jesus Christ praying for you. That's he's your advocate. And now you got the Holy Spirit praying for you in ways you know not to pray. And then on top of that too, who knows the mind of a man besides the spirit? Who knows the mind of God more than the spirit that now dwells in you? And you get to enjoy that, right? So Ephesians 1 and 3, I love that. You get all these spiritual blessings. You get them all on day one and you don't have to earn them. They're free of charge. God gives them to you all. And the other thing is too about them is it's not like you got to get this level of piety, you know, and be fancy. When you put the tie on finally, that all of a sudden God's like, ah, that's my boy. Here's some more spiritual blessings. No, he gave them all to you. They're all, all you need is there. It's all yours. Now, here's the fun part. You do have to grow in knowledge of them, right? If you don't know the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. One of my favorite doctrines is about illumination. And I, and I know I said this before. The fact that the Holy Spirit, who is the author of the scriptures and who wrote the scriptures, used men to write them, is also dwelling in me. And that conversation is there. When, 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 I'm, when I'm in the word, the author, I get to argue with the author and the author gets to argue with me back or discuss or conversate. And, 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 and it just blows my mind. And it's something like if you don't study and don't learn about, you're going to miss out on that such a sweet thought. You also have to grow an understanding of, of, of things too when you, and, and some of these blessings that you have. Uh, and, I, and I think that's where sometimes, um, if we're not growing an understanding of them, sometimes we can have a misunderstanding of them and then that misunderstanding when something doesn't quite work out the way we thought it was going to, it's not that God was wrong, it's that we probably had a wrong understanding of it, but Satan is gonna use that to put doubt in your head. And don't be fooled, he will gladly put that in there and there for you. And so we also have to grow in understanding. And that's why I think when uh, you see uh, Paul telling uh, Timothy that you can't be a novice, that's what he's talking about, right? We, we, it's not that you can't be young. If you're young and you've been in the faith your whole life, it's somebody who's new to the faith and doesn't have a full understanding of everything they're doing or talking about. Pride can puff them up and, and all that. And I don't want to digress, but you need to grow in understanding. And you also need to grow in faith. You've got to trust God and his promises, Right, and, and, and that's the other thing. And so 
um, you got to learn to trust God. So, uh, mom's rock. Um, I'm going to, this is going to help me transition there in a second. So, um, I got a little story to help you kind of understand something with this. Uh, so when I was a wee little lad, uh, probably around 10, 11 years old, this new video game system called Super, uh, or the, not even the Super Nintendo, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, the old school one, came out and I asked for it for Christmas. I don't even remember how I heard of it. In fact, I remember I got it and I was talking with kids and I got it for Christmas all geeked out and all the people were looking at me like, what are you talking about? I was like, <laughs> and then next year they all knew what I was talking about. But So anyways, uh, so I remember I get it, and I open up this gift, and I just, I, and I'm like trembling, right? Trembling, and I can't believe I got this gift. Um, little side note here inside the story. Uh, a couple years ago, I was rather blessed, and, and here's how moms rock too. Between uh, Naomi's mom and Tabitha's mom, uh, Valerie, uh, Naomi wanted this, this sweatshirt, this hoodie, and uh, uh, told mom, mom told grandma, grandma bought it for her, and then as Naomi's opening up her gift, she, she squeals. It's this amazing squeal, the teenage girl squeal. And I'm like, oh, that was my daughter. And, and now I'm all excited. I'm like, what kind of gift did you get, right? And then she pulls it out, and it's this hoodie with this little dinosaur logo on it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. No idea what it was. <laughs> but she was, she was totally elated. And uh, so, Valerie, thanks for that memory. Taylor, thanks for that memory. And, uh, and getting back to Super Mario Brothers, but that's how I was with Super Mario Brothers. I was so excited. And, I, and my dad was like, I know you're excited to play, son. Let me get a cup of coffee, clean up a bit, and we'll get this set up and we'll get you playing. And I was like, okay, 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 dad, okay. And I opened up the box and I got the console and I'm like, looking at dad, drinking coffee, like, come on, dad, I want to play. And so he gets it hooked up and I put it in, we hit the power button and boom, there it is on the TV. And I got the controller in my hand and hit the start button and the music's going. You all know the Super Mario music and I'm playing and having a good time and then I die and then my brother gets a turn and my sister gets a turn and we're all dying and dying and laughing because we can't get past this part and we can't jump and all this other stuff. And all of a sudden my mom's like, can I have a turn? Of course, mom. So mom steps in and mom's playing. And all of a sudden, she, she gets a mushroom and she grows big. And then she gets a flower. And then she spits a fireball. Like that one on that picture there. That's what it looks like. I jumped up. I was sitting on the floor. And I was like, whoa, mom, how'd you do that? And I just like blew my mind. And my mom looked at me and she's like, oh, it's all right there in the instruction manual. <laughs> so I get the instruction manual and I'm all, reading it, and then my brother and sister are on top of me, and I'm like, oh, look at this, look at this. I'm like, she's right. And then we take our turns, and wow, the game's a lot easier. It's a lot better to play. And, uh, and so um, I, it's amazing enough. Every game I got after that, no matter how excited I was, I sat down and read the instruction booklet first. Uh, my sister has ever hated me because when I play games, I read the instruction booklets, and then I, I, uh, I don't lose. I win. Because I know all the rules, and I strategy well, I strategize well, and so. Uh, but yeah, so because we didn't read those instructions, you're going to see where I'm going with this right quick. There's a there's a lot of self-inflicted pain, right? We were getting frustrated because we couldn't get past World One Two, uh, which is the very beginning, and uh, we couldn't get far. We couldn't get far, and it was all self-inflicted because we didn't take time to read the instructions to know what we were doing, and so that kind of happens in the book of Numbers. Um, so we're going to go to the book of Numbers because there's a lot of self-inflicted pain in the book of Numbers. So Numbers 13. Um, so uh, we're going to start in Numbers 13, verse 30. Uh, so at this point, Numbers, I kind of feel bad for Numbers. I think Numbers gets this bad rap because uh, Usually if you start off in the beginning of the year and you're trying to read one of these, read through the Bibles in a year thing, uh, Genesis, um, you'll read through Genesis, and then Exodus is pretty exciting the first half, and then you get into the law of, of Exodus, and if you get through that, you can get into the law of Leviticus, and then Numbers starts off with law too, and if you, I mean, if you get through that, you're going to read the whole Bible, but usually I, I don't think people get to Numbers, and there's a lot of sweet uh, lessons to be learned from the book of Numbers, so we're going to pick it up in chapter 13. Uh, so chapter 13 is when, uh, and this is a pretty familiar story, uh, Moses sends the 12 spies into the promised land. It's the land of Canaan, uh, the land flowing with milk and honey to spy it out. 
And so this is when the, the, the spies actually go in, 40 days come out. Uh, they're actually carrying with them fruit of the land to, to give a report. And this is uh, starting in verse 30. We're going to read the report that uh, the 12 men addressed uh, the rest of the children of Israel. So starting in verse 30. Then Caleb, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they have given the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So Caleb's like, yeah, we can go do it. Yeah, we can go do it. We can do this. We can do this. And the rest of them were like, no, no, we can't. No, no, we can't. And, uh, and uh, they didn't listen to God. God was like, I'll be with you and you can do this. Um, at this point, too, what's kind of interesting is, is uh, they already had, when they were uh, on their way out of the Exodus, they had already once fought a war. That's when Moses had his arms, and he had to have uh, Caleb, and I forget who else helped raise his arm, was uh, Joshua's out leading the troops in battle. And every time arms, his Moses came down, they started losing, and every time his arms went up, they would start winning, and God had already showed them that he was with them. Uh, and I think it was a very visual demonstration to let him know with Moses going up and down that, that I am with you because God can't be seen. So he wanted them to know that. And so the people's reactions after that report comes in chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, if we only had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. They were so used to being slaves. They couldn't picture themselves being anything else besides a slave. They wanted to go back and be a slave. <laughs> And even after Pharaoh had ordered the murder of their sons, they're like, you know what? This is too scary, right? And, and, and there's a lot of truth in that too. I mean, there's a lot of different truths because think about that. If you're single, you can serve the Lord. And if something bad happens, you can usually land on your feet and take care of yourself. But when you got a wife and children, you got a little bit more skin in the game. And I know it's kind of interesting because pastor talking about being bivocational. I don't see how he can not, not be bivocational for a while and uh, enjoying the great work that that comes with that. Um, though I'm excited about the privilege of serving the Lord. Um, but yeah, so they didn't want their wives and their children to become victims. <laughs> Can't imagine, you know, it's kind of interesting. They'd rather be slaves with them being become victim like that than, uh, than dying for their freedom. Not American. Uh, and so we're going to move on. Uh, then uh, Joshua. Joshua and Caleb start pleading and interceding for them. So, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into his land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Do not fear them. I, I just love the conviction and the beliefs and the faith. And they know God promised them. Their protection left them. And God, God was giving them the victory. But the people didn't, the people didn't believe. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones, right? Think about that. They are so afraid. They're willing to stone somebody else and commit murder. Now, the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle meeting before all the children of Israel. The Lord is going to put a stop to this. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me and how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? 
That's, that's like God's main gripe with them. I mean, there's a bunch of sin that they do, and God does well to let them know that that's not tolerated. But the main one that, that just gets God is, why won't you believe me? Why won't you trust me? And uh, all the signs which I had performed among them, they, they were the children of the, the ten plagues. These are the people of the ten plagues across the, the river, and they had theirs. And uh, I can tell you, I got my signs and miracles. Um, the house we have, my wife just showed me a post. Um, we go back a, a year, and, and it's so funny. Like, she was talking about buying a house. I'm like, we're not ready to buy a house. We don't have enough money saved up. This, no, we're not ready. And so she wanted to go looking for a house, and I'm like, all right, let's go looking for a house. So we see a house, and we, we think it's on our price range, and, and uh, we go to look at this house. And uh, uh, Dad comes with us, and, and uh, Mr. Brown comes with us, uh, and st- they both can attest to my look. It was like a sh- shock and awe <laughs> sort of face. Like, it was a, a, a house that needed a lot of love. It was like one of the few houses in what we thought was our price range, and I was just like, uh, what are we doing? I can't fix this house up. And, and I'm like, if we buy this house, and I, I, I do not know what we're doing looking at houses. I was really overwhelmed that night. Um, but we went out, and we went out, and uh, uh, we <laughs> I was glad I had good, good men with me that assured me it would be okay, and I didn't have to panic. And, uh, and uh, I was like, okay. I, and Tabitha still wanted to look, and I was like, all right, Lord, we're going to look. Uh, you're a great God, and you can do mighty things. And so then we looked and we looked and looked and looked and then uh, finally there was this last house and it was funny because it was one of the first houses I looked at and Tabitha didn't want to look at because it was outside or north of our price range. And uh, then with interest rates the way they were, uh, our realtor helped us explain that, yeah, you guys can afford this house. And we're like, what? No way. We did. And that's the house we got. God brought us there and God put us in that house. Um, God did. Because <laughs> I, I was not even, I didn't even think we were ready to. And what's amazing, and she just showed me a post. We would have waited a year a year, uh, this post uh, from our, our realtor, he put a post, this uh, numbers that put out by one of the lenders that he works with. Um, the average house price has increased like $100,000. And the loan rate now, the mortgage rate for an interest rate is, is jumped up high enough that your, mortgage, your monthly payment now is going to be about 95% higher than it was a year ago. A- and then there's two mortgage numbers on there, one close to what we have and we can afford to one that we couldn't afford. It just blew my mind that God moved me and, and, and moved us in a way to buy that house last year when we could afford it versus this year where we couldn't. And it, and it was just like, and, and the list can go on and on and on on God, how God has stepped into our lives and saved the day. So um, don't be like the numbers, uh, the, the, the this children of this generation. So the Lord's reaction. So at that point, Moses intercedes because the Lord is ready to wipe them out. And Moses says, please don't. I don't want to focus on that. So we're going to move on. We're going to skip down to verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complains against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel makes against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you've spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Uh, The carcasses of you I like that, how he calls them the carcasses. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness, all of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephani, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I'll bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. Um, I don't want to get, carcasses is a kind of awesome word study. There's, there's a lot to unpack there, talking about afterlife and everything else and just looking at the body as separate from the soul and the dichotomy of man. Uh, but that's kind of something fun you can study on your own. But, you, but your little ones, God turns around and says, your little ones, the little ones that you thought would be victims, they're going to be victors. You had it wrong. You should have trusted me. You should have believed me. You should have listened to me. And it would have gone totally different, Right? Proverbs uh, 3, uh, 5, and 6, right? Lean not on your own understanding? Yeah. Uh, they were. They were leaning on their own understanding and it was going bad. So what's great, though, is um, we're going to fast forward to chapter 21, verses uh, 15 through 20. Uh, there's some rebellion and some bad things that are happening to that generation as they rebel and they get swallowed by the earth. And, and then there's some laws about the... Uh, 
uh, tithing and Levitical and some more Levitical laws that are mentioned. And then we get into chapter 21, and what's really neat, what's really neat, in the beginning they didn't think they could go onto land because they didn't think they could have victory. What's awesome is, is we're going to see this. They're going to taste victory. They're going to taste victory. The king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver these people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voices of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. God listened to them. Even though they're, you know, they're complaining and grumbling. Um, they're now listening. And so they have victory. Then we read on a little bit more. Oh, there we go. And there's more victory that's in this chapter. Then the Israels uh, sent messengers to uh, Sion, king of the Amorites, saying, uh, let me pass through your land. Uh, we will not turn aside into the fields or the vineyards. We will not drink water from the wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sion would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sion gathered and all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his lands from Arnon to the Jabok as far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in the cities of the Amorites, and Heshbon and in all its villages. So they're not even, they're just looking to pass through this land, and they're like, hey, uh, we, we really don't want to cause any trouble here. We just, we just, we just kind of want to sneak through. Is that okay? And then they get attacked. And then they go out, and they win by the edge of the sword. They went from slaves making bricks, and now here they have the skill with a sword. And then that's not it. There's even more victory that's been for them. And we bounce down to verses 33 and 35. And they turned and went by the way to Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons and all his people, until there was no survivor left, and they took possession of his land. Again, they didn't go out looking for war. War found them, and they won. So what's great, what's great, is at the end of Deuteronomy, which is the last book before uh, Joshua and the the book of conquest uh, God reminds them about before going in is what he says to them at the end of Deuteronomy 31 he says to them then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel and he said to them I'm 120 years old today I can no longer go out and come in also the Lord has said to me you shall not cross over this Jordan the Lord your God himself crosses over before you He will destroy these nations from before you and you shall dispose of them. Joshua himself crosses over before you just as the Lord has said and the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the king of the Amorites and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them for the Lord your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Never once did he forsake that generation while they were wandering around in the desert. Never once. Never once. And more importantly, what's really sweet about that is, is he brought them like they were afraid to go and make war. But then God, God brings them, brings the war to them. And he starts helping them to do the things that they think they couldn't do. It's awesome. So like sometimes you'll have something before you that you're afraid to do, that you think you're incapable of doing, that you can't do. And you're like, Lord, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. And what's amazing is God can sometimes bring that challenge to you in a different way and help give you the victory because he's not going to forsake you. God didn't save you just to throw you away. God saved you with a purpose and intent 
and he wants you to be conformed to the image of his firstborn, which is Jesus Christ, and he's going to work on that, and he's going to work on you. So where you didn't think you could have victory, God already knows he's got the victory for you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? We're saved by grace through faith. And then when we get to verse 10, we're created for good works that were prepared beforehand for us to walk through, that God created for us to walk through. So God will bring them to you, right? And so that's what he did for Israel, and I love that, that he prepared them to go and take it. At one point, they're like, we can't do this, we can't do this. And then as they're wandering around, God brings a battle to them, and brings battle to them, and brings battle to them, and gives them victory, and gives them victory, and gives them victory, and says, yes, you can do it. And yes, I am with you. And, and God removed the fear that caused the unbelief in the, in the first place. And the result is they believed. And that next generation, that next generation, they go in and they have conquest. I'm not done. There's more. So uh, what's neat, uh, and this is why you got to get in the book of Numbers. Book of Numbers is fabulous. This next story. So after chapter 21, where they have these three stories of victory, we get to chapter 22. Uh, and so now the neighborhood, the neighborhood is watching this, these Israelites win and have victory, and they start to get scared. So there's this fellow by the name of Balak. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, was, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid. Moab was a neighbor of the people because they were many, and Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pithor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Verse 6, therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. And so, Balak is calling for Balaam to come and do this. And, and what's great is this, is this is that awesome story of Balaam, uh, Balaam trying to get on his donkey, and then the angel of the Lord comes and stops and, and, and for sake of time, I'm just going to have to skip past that, even though I love that story. Uh, um, go and read Numbers 22 and, and, and enjoy that. Uh, you're missing out if you haven't been reading some numbers. But anyways, Balaam finally gets to uh, uh, Balak, and he prophesies. He prophesies four times, four times. And the first time, he blesses Israel when he prophesies. Uh, and, and, and Balak rebukes him. Balak gets mad. He's like, no, 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 no. I asked you to curse them. And if you weren't going to curse him, you could have just stayed quiet. You didn't have to go and bless him. And then Balaam says, whatever the God's going to tell me, I, I'm going to say, I, I can't rebuke that. And he knows because of what happened with him and the donkey and the angel of the Lord, he, he doesn't want to mess with the angel of the Lord. So then on the second time, he, he starts prophesying, and this is what he says in Numbers 23, 19 through 20. I, and, I, and I just love this. I, I, we're going to really take a second pause here in what he says. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. I love it because he, he, he contrasts God to man. God doesn't lie. And what God says is going to happen. When God says he's going to be with you, when God says he's not going to forsake you, he is going to be with you. He is not going to forsake you. What he says, he does. And I love that too. Nor is he a son of man that he should repent. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't regret his choices. What he says, he makes happens. And of course, because he's holy and pure, what he says is right and true. And that's even beautiful, more beautiful about it is that we know it is righteous when he says because he is holy and he doesn't need to repent on top of it. And he continues on though. He said, he has not observed inequity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. That should make your head scratch because that's all the book of Numbers is, is the iniquity of, of Jacob and Israel. But God, those were God's children, just like us. And it just blows my mind that as much as God is upset with the children of Israel in the book of Numbers, he is still saying, I have not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. And the Lord, his God, is with him. And the shout of a king is among them. God brings him out of Egypt he has a strength like a wild ox. I just, 
I just it blows my mind to think that God is looking at this generation that is complaining and grumbling against him as not having iniquity or wickedness. There we go. And so, uh, God's unfathomable grace carries on. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It, it now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. I know that's a little graphic, and I know that's not what we want to think of when we think of victory, but what, more importantly, what I love is in this, it's not that because Israel is great. It's not because Israel is great. It's because God is great. Look at what God has done. And that's what should be said of your life too. It's not because I'm great, but because God is good. Not because I'm amazing, but because of what God has done. And that's, that's also going to help you live in life and victory. And so um, that's all the second prophecy. And in the third prophecy, uh, again, Balak is uh, rather uh, upset with Balaam because, of course, he wants them to curse, curse them. And so in this third prophecy, what's really neat about this third prophecy, and I'm going to read this for you guys, God brings him out of Egypt. He has a strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. That's how he ends the third prophecy. Those last two lines sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah, that's it's, it's from the, the Abrahamic covenant, the promise he made to Abraham. When you're a great nation, he who blesses you, through all the, all the nations, you'll, all the nations through you will be blessed, and those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. God's like, that, that's still true. And what, what's, really, what's really funny at this point, and this is how I kind of feel like half the world reacts, is, is although, you know, if, if you were Balak at this point, and Balaam just said, hey, those who bless Israel is going to be blessed, and those who curse Israel is going to be cursed, what do you think your choice would be? Right? Yeah. I asked you to curse them. Could you curse them already and stop blessing them? And it's just like, mm, oh, I had high hopes for you. But no, and no, it's amazing too because this is like there's four prophecies and in and, uh, and, and black all the time and still going to be asking for the destruction of Israel even though like Balaam's like not going to happen. So the fourth he speaks of a conquering king and in the fourth prophecy what's really beautiful is you see the promise of the one that we have our hope in. I see him but not now. I behold him but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's our conquering king. And he didn't come as a conquering king the first time. He came as a lamb. And he will come again as a conquering king. And that's one of our hopes. And that's why we don't have to gripe and complain about the government and the world. Because we know the victory. The victory is with him. And because we are in him, the victory is ours. And it ends in verse 25. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. Balak didn't get what he wanted, and Balaam left. Balaam left, and Balak left as well. Uh, I kind of wish they would have had an R in one of their names or something to change that up, but uh, Balak, Balak leaves. He didn't get what he wanted. So what's awesome, though, is um, God prophesies about Israel. He talks about not seeing iniquity. And then when we turn the page and we get to chapter 25, uh, verses 1 through 3 read like this. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to their sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was roused against Israel. Oh, Israel. And you know what's sweet? <laughs> God's like telling Balaam to say, In Israel I have seen no inequity. In him I have observed no wickedness. And then we turn the page, and oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of wickedness. Because again, the point isn't that Israel was great. The point is that God is great and God doesn't forsake. Because although they do this, when you read down further in the chapter, we see that God is not going to forsake them. And what he said, he is going to make happen. And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and attack them. For they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby. 
the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor, right? So God looks and realizes that it was part of the Moabites' plan to try to corrupt them by sending in their women. And what's even sweet is God is not even forsaking them. God is like, I'm still going to give you the victory over these people. Even though Israelites went and, and committed the sin and, and worshiped the false gods and, and, had, uh, and, and you know, they played the harlot, again, they were unfaithful, which is, which is all God wants out of us is our faithfulness, to believe and to trust and to be faithful. And, and here they are, Israel being unfaithful, but God, God is always faithful. And it's just so beautiful. And so, as we conclude, um, so what is winning? What is winning? Where are you in your faith? Right? What struggles or challenges are you facing? How do you need to win? Where do you need victory? Um, so uh, it's that time of year uh, for graduations. And you hear all the Chase Your Dream speeches, and, and there's this one cliche that I always love out there. Um, a thousand-mile journey starts with one step, right? <laughs> it sounds so wonderful. And uh, I, I like that because I'm like, well, hopefully you're stepping in the right direction because otherwise you just made your 1,000-mile journey a 1,000 miles plus one step. So, um, but God, God helps us know. He gave us this. Don't neglect this because God tells us how to go about that journey that thousand mile journey. And unlike that thousand mile journey that starts with one step where you're not sure if you're gonna make it or not, you know you got a God that's never gonna forsake you. And again, if you know about your doctrines, you know you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit and you can't lose your salvation and you know that you're gonna make the end of the journey. Unlike all these other graduates that have dreams of hope that may or may not come true. And so... um. I have a story about Moody's Men's Conference, and then, and, then, uh, and then I'll wrap up in prayer, and I thank you for the time. So Moody's Men's Conference, when I first got saved, when I first got saved, whoo, I can stop preaching the gospel. Uh, I, love, I love sharing, I was like, you, you can have heaven, you can know. This is amazing, you can have the hope of heaven. So I was going around telling everybody about Jesus. It was great. And, uh, and so, so there's a couple gentlemen uh, that we're going to go to this Moody's Men's Conference, and they, and they invited me to go, and uh, so I went with them. And it was uh, I, spring, because I remember it was a little cool outside, um, but because uh, we, we're down in Chicago and we go to Moody's Church. I don't know if you've been to Moody's Church, but it's huge. It's this huge auditorium. And so we're in there, and there's a couple sessions, a couple different men speaking, and, uh, and, and it kind of blew my mind away. You know, there's one point where we're singing, like, how many thousands of men are in this auditorium and it's just men singing and then we went a cappella, and oh man I, I wanted to hit the street find me a, a mosque or, or, or a synagogue and preach the gospel and uh, I, I was ready to go I was all fired up for the Lord that day and it was so funny because uh, um, we get done and, and uh, the last guy he was preaching about the restoration of Peter by uh, Jesus in the book of John and, and, and I was just like and I, I'm like all fired up and ready to fire for Jesus and all of a sudden we're in the elevator riding uh, we're, I remember we get in an elevator and we're, I think we were going to get the car at this point and these guys are ready to get home and uh, it was so funny because even as the guy started talking about what winning looks like to you it was kind of funny because he starts talking about uh, so try to get yourself uh, men try to get yourself a date night once this month and spend some time with your wife right? Try to have one family dinner. And I'm like, victory, buddy. That, that's not victory. What are you talking about? Victory? Let, let's go preach the gospel. There's thousands of us. We can go, we can go turn Chicago around in an hour. And, uh, and so my version of victory was kind of, well, I was a little obtuse. And so, uh, um, and so we're in the elevator, and I'm all kind of, like, perplexed, and, 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 like, all these men are just kind of going a different way, and the guys are excited to get home to their wives and, and their kids, and they're talking about, like, really getting pumped up and trying to do a devotional this weekend, and, and I'm just like, like, I was mad. I was, and, and it must have been conveyed on my face because all the one guy's like, Richard, uh, you, you okay? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, and, and, and I... And I just kind of kept it to myself, and I, and I didn't understand, 
and I didn't understand. But, um, you know, now I'm a little older, a little more mature, and I get it. So winning, winning is going to be different for every one of you. And I, and I get that. God's going to work it differently in every one of your faith. And so, you know, that might be. It might be going out and winning a thousand souls. It might be just trying to get your kids not to make bad choices, right? And so um, I wanted you to encourage you tonight, wherever, wherever you're struggling and winning, because I can tell you this much. When, when it was getting really dark for me and I was getting to be the big bear, I stopped because I knew in my studies they were getting dry and I wasn't enjoying the presence of the Lord. So what do you think I did? Stopped and asked said, Lord, I ain't living the way you want me to. Lord, I'm not living the way I want to. I need the victory. I need the victory. I need your presence. And that's the victory. It's being with my, my Savior. And so um, it was sweet because uh, that day driving in, I was really busted up because, again, I think there's fighting in the morning in our house. Uh, um, and, and, and I was, I was just like, oh, no. Not again, not another morning. And uh, so one of my favorite songs came on, and it's been a while. And what's fun is about when you listen to music uh, through an app, it kind of just keeps playing the same songs that you like, and then it all of a sudden it pulled out this old one, and I credit it to God. But uh, Casting Crowns, um, uh, I'll Praise You in the Rain. So, uh, and the lyrics, oh, I knew I should have wrote it down because they're going to slip right out of the head right now. But uh, the lyrics are... Um, as the thunder rolls, I can barely hear through the rain, your voice, I'm with you. And it, it reminded me, my God is with me. And I thought of James, resist the devil and he'll flee. Because I was like, God, you can't be proud of me. And I was wrong. And so draw near, draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cleanse your hands, you filthy sinners. <laughs> I love that part. So I said, God, forgive me, cleanse me, purify my heart. It's been double-minded and uh, help me focus on you. And he brought me back full. And, uh, and what I like about that is the last lyric of the refrain is, um, uh, I'll praise you, the God who gives and the God who takes away. And sometimes we need to remember that. So, um, yeah, so with that, um, I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what challenges you're facing. I don't know what struggles you have, but I know, I know our God is with you and he will not forsake you. And I know that you should spend some time with him in his word and go back to those promises and stand on them. He gave them to you for a reason. He gave them to the Israelites for a reason. He is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. 